Hello and welcome to episode 242 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey T, how has your night been? It's been good. Uh, I was at the bar watching the Raiders Chargers game, uh, which is American football for that those that don't know. That means nothing to me. It was, you know, it was fun. It was a good game, you know, a good back and forth to, you know, well, you got Justin Herbert, young quarterback, Derek Carr of the, of the Raiders. It was a good game. Uh, and I, that probably means absolutely nothing to any of our English fans, basically anybody outside of America. But whatever, you know, I was sitting there. I was writing my it was beautiful. So I'm sitting there watching the game. I'm writing my column, the Waters Wrap, for those that are subscribers uh, to to waterstechnology.com, of which you should be. But I was laughing about it, thinking about it because so it's Monday night and I originally when I first came up with this idea of writing this weekly column, I was like, I'm going to publish this thing on Sunday morning. So I'll basically write it Friday night, publish it Sunday morning. Mm. And I started doing that and I was like, all right, Sunday morning became Sunday night. Sunday night became Monday afternoon. (laughs) Monday afternoon became basically Tuesday afternoon, which is where we're at right now. And, you know, eventually Tuesday afternoon will turn into Wednesday. Wednesday will turn to Thursday. (laughs) Thursday will turn to Friday. And basically just like your birthday, kind of like how the sun goes around, you know, or the earth goes around the sun, not the sun going around the earth. Earth goes around the sun. You know how your birthday kind of falls on a Saturday and it's like, yes, finally, my birthday falls on a Saturday. Same thing. The Waters Wrap will eventually probably fall on a Saturday. So basically, though, my column is in just like Mercury. It's in retrograde right now. So <laughs> so it, it should be up tomorrow afternoon-ish, ish, I guess. Um, but I guess it's also a good thing that, thank God, don't have to talk much today because oh. we have a guest. Yes, thank God. Thank God. I mean, I don't know how long you would want to hear Tony ramble on about uh, Mercury being in retrograde. And yeah. so is this Good column. Sturgill Simpson song, if you're a fan of country music, too, by the way. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, okay, since we have a guest, tell me, tell me who you got, who's on the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> we got a good guest. Uh, Lou Maori, COO of State Street. Uh, we talk about uh, the acquisition of Brown Brothers Harriman's uh, Investor Services Unit, uh, and Wei Shen's written about that unit. Uh, we've had a couple articles about them, and they do really, really interesting. Like this is not just like I honestly believe this. Like they do cool stuff using it's not AI. Me, though. It was Reb. No, but didn't you write one article about them? Or you interviewed Kevin, right? Kevin Welch one time. Man, you just derailed this whole intro that I just had here. Okay, let's keep on going now. Let's keep pushing ahead. (laughs) I'm going to cut this part out. (laughs) No, no, leave it in. It's good stuff. So, Brown Brothers Harriman, Vest Service Unit. We've written a lot about them. Whoever wrote about them. Uh, Reb has certainly written a couple articles about them. Um, But they do cool stuff using true uh, various different kinds of artificial intelligence and really machine learning um, for largely manual back office stuff. So Lou and I, we, we talk about, you know, what enticed State Street about 
this group that they acquired from Brown Brothers. And beyond that, even if you don't care so much about that acquisition, uh, the second part of that conversation is just around, you know, how do you go about building interoperability in an organization? How do you create that front to back sticky offering? And so obviously State Street's made a lot of big name acquisitions, uh, most notably uh, with Charles River for our audience, most notably. So that was kind of the conversation. I think it's really interesting. Then we talk at the very end about some of the, I don't know if concerns is the right word, but you know, just kind of how in this new kind of COVID working remotely, you know, you know, Lou oversees a massive organization, a couple thousand people um, as a chief operating officer. So what are some of his concerns about as we kind of look at this kind of new landscape of working remotely? So I think even if you don't care about the investor uh, services piece of it, uh, there is a lot of good uh, content beyond that on the acquisitions and just kind of managing a large group of people. So, yeah, I guess give it a listen or, you know, I can just keep on rambling on about, you know, Mercury and retrograde, Sturgill Simpson, American football. What else, Weishin? What do you want to know about? I mean, Mercury and retrograde could definitely well be a conversation for another time. It could be interesting. I think Reb would very much like to take mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, let's get to our guest this week. <laughs> good, good call. <laughs> anyway, here's Lou Maori, for CEO of State Street. Okay, we'll be back soon, hopefully. So until next time. <laughs> Bye bye. All right, and now I'm joined by Lou Maori, the Chief Operating Officer for State Street. Uh, Lou, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, uh, State Street's acquisition of Brown Brother Harriman's uh, Investor Services Unit, and then we'll talk uh, a little bit more about broader strategy. Just really quickly, though, uh, for our audience that maybe aren't familiar with you, you know, as a chief op- operating officer, uh, kind of g- give a little bit of the day to day. What's your uh, job there entail at uh, State Street? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, the title doesn't really tell you much, right? So I'm clearly uh, responsible for all of our operations here at State Street, uh, all of our technology. Uh, I'm also responsible for all of our fintech assets. So when you think about Charles River, our alpha platform, you think about FX Connect, Fund Connect, CurrentX. We have lots of technology that helps our help our customers with liquidity and servicing. I'm responsible for all the product management of the company and our trading businesses. So that's our global markets businesses where we're very large in foreign exchange liquidity and securities lending and uh, things like that. So it's a it's a big remit. Um, uh, out of the forty thousand people, I've got thirty thousand of them that work hard every day to delight our customers. So <laughs> I was uh, very active, if, as you can well imagine, in the uh, and the conversations early on with Brown Brothers in, in acquiring and their investment servicing business. So, well, let's so let's talk a little bit about that because you know I wrote a column recently where I just mentioned um, this acquisition, but I'm actually I'm really intrigued by it because this investor services unit. We've written a bunch about some of the projects that they have underway, and you know, for those that don't really know, uh, you know, they kind of handle a lot of that kind of dirty accounting and admin work for the buy side. And it can kind of seem like this boring kind of back office kind of, of, you know, kind of, you know, that's manual that you kind of incorporate some technology. But 
they've done some really cool things over the years uh, with the use of just various forms of artificial intelligence. And unlike a lot of people who say, oh, we're using artificial intelligence, they really have, it does, I get the feeling like it's it's a really concerted effort. So they do some some cutting edge things for what is, you know, can be viewed as something that's highly manual, highly back office, you know, and kind of can be can be kind of a slog sometimes. So what was it about this this group that intrigued you guys the most to bring them on uh, into the State Street group? Yeah, no, I've known them for a long time and I read your article and I have a lot of respect for them, always have. And I've described it, Anthony, as um, this is a consolidation deal, plus, plus, plus. So I added these pluses. Uh, especially when I communicated to our investors. And, and let me unpack that so you can get a sense. And technology and everything you just hit upon is one of those pluses. So uh, let's start with that one. So one plus is just their use of technology. And I'd say um, they would tell you they had no choice. They had to use technology to differentiate themselves, make them more productive. So they use it internally, as you talk about, to, to transform their business, change the way they work. And the end result of that was not only more productivity, it was a higher quality product for their customers. And so use the use of AI, they have a great lab in Poland where they co-located their operations teams, their technology teams. And in the middle, they built this transformation team that are filled with process engineers and AI and robotics people constantly looking to take, you know, the rogue workout, the repeatable workout and engineer that out. So that was, that was one, I would tell you, that was an aspect that I was surprised about. Uh, what I wasn't surprised about in technology was their use of products like Infomediary where it's sort of a, you know, a data integration tool, a middleware, if you will. This is an understatement by calling it that for the buy side. Yeah. 150 customers use it. 21 of the top 25 top asset managers in the world use Infomediary. One of the largest uh, Swift Euro users uh, in Europe and, and, the, and the United States. So you get a sense for all that data in motion that's moving through their technology. And what they did is they use that not only for their clients, they use it for themselves and they then were really crafty and smart that they could then build solutions around that data in motion with products like InfoFX, uh, InfoAction. So that I knew about and I was intrigued. That was one of the big pluses. Uh, I'll go through the other ones really quickly, uh, but they're important. I think they're they're in markets, by the way, in locations that we're just underpenetrated in um, or we're not really represented in. So 70% of their business is outside the United States. Um, they're very uh, huge and prominent in Japan the number one outsource provider of LATAM services, and then on their offshore positions in sort of the Lux in Ireland, very strong. All of that is very complementary to State Street's position in size. So it was very creative from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, people are fantastic, right? 4,200 people, roughly um, experts in what, they're, what they do. To your point, they do what we do. We deal with the dirty stuff every day. We reconcile trades, we settle securities, we do NAVs, we do middle office record keeping. And it powers up the buy side, you know, of the world. It helps our customers manage assets around the world every day. But it's, it's, it's detailed work. In fact, they call it um, they're the gods of small things because they're dealing with every asset class in every jurisdiction. So we like the fact that we're picking up expertise. And as I'm sure you cover, there's a war for talent right now going on across the planet. Really hard to find people across every single job class. So this is really exciting. And then the last plus I would tell you is. They've had uh, the standard of, of quality and, and client service. And we've we've prided ourselves on what we've done over the last several years to lift our game and be the best provider of services. But they, they're the bar. 
And so we love what they've done. We're going to incorporate that incorporate that into our model. And uh, and that gives you a sense of how we thought about it. There is a consolidation aspect. This makes us obviously the largest provider of these services in the world. It's a scale game in this accounting custody world. So we have scale and that's going to certainly help their customers and ourselves. But there are strategic elements to this. This isn't just a pure consolidation deal where you take all the the assets, put them on our platform and, you know, synergize as much as you can. This this has some aspects that are very creative to our strategy. Okay. I'm going to read something that uh, we wrote an article. Uh, so about this group, uh, my colleague, uh, Reb Natel, uh, wrote an article. And so I'm going to read because people love it when people read on a podcast. But uh, so uh, Brown Brothers Harriman has been busy, so busy that in the past two years, the bank's investor services unit has delivered three large-scale tech platforms underpinned by various forms of artificial intelligence and is sent to roll out a fourth to its internal users in July. We wrote this earlier uh, in this year. Uh, the most recent implementation project, Guardrail, was completed in 2020 and is part of an ongoing endeavor to radically transform its fund accounting process, expand upon one of BBH's uh, first AI projects in the division, the Anomaly Nav Tracking System, ANTS, uh, which was developed using supervised machine learning to help BBH's analysts weed out thousands of false anomalies during uh, end-of-day nav strikes. The forthcoming AI-based algo validation tool is meant to help BBH's own business users more easily verify their own uh, proofs of concept, uh, taking some of the onus off of its data scientists and IT resources who have often been caught up in the middle of explaining results or finding the necessary data. This is all to say, again, so obviously there are many reasons why you made this acquisition. For our audience, for what we write about here at Water Technology, we'll, we'll focus more on the, the, the tech issue, but if I say to you, and this is what I said in my column, but if the, the the key thing now is that you have to be able to keep the talent that's there because these are the people have been that have the expertise there, and then you need the integration of it, and that integration would then allow you to kind of supercharge uh, some of these AI efforts, and then it would allow some of those expertise that they have over there to maybe incorporate into State Street. Would you say that from a tech perspective that that is the greatest concern, the greatest driver of what has to happen next with this acquisition, keeping yeah. the talent and the inter and the integration interoperability? Yes. So I think to give you another answer, so you're absolutely right. And I was also um, uh, the individual who led the acquisition of Charles River in 2018, where we purchased Charles River, a software company and fintech, as you all know, and uh, maintaining them were also hugely important. And that was even harder because you're dealing with a fintech. Now it's owned by a bank. But in this particular case, um, a lot of what you just talked about, like ants and some of the other bits, are very complementary to what we call our driverless nav. So this is an interesting uh, parallel that both of us have been on this journey to automate. And what we found is that they focused on areas that we weren't focusing in on. We've been we've been using AI, for instance. I'll give you an example, and I'll tell you why I think there'll be some stickiness with people sticking around. Our focus recently with AI is predicting the nav. So as soon as markets are closed and you got all the benchmarks in for a fund, can you predict the range the NAV should be in based on how the fund has performed over many, many observations, if you will? And so our team, which is based in Austin, Texas, um, by Randy Swanberg, our lead scientist here, is able to build that. So we have our driverless NAV that moves through every day, and then we say, if that driverless NAV is in this range that we're predicting the price to be, it's a reasonability test that, you know, this is probably ready to go. And again, it uses lots of observations, lots of benchmarks and sees that correlation. What they've done, some of the work that they've done with ANTS and some of the work they've done is more upstream, which we love. So that's going to be complementary. We're in Poland, by the way. Um, we have a big presence in Poland. They have a big presence in Poland. 
Uh, so we believe that those operations and technology teams and transformation teams, as, as we call them internally, um, we're going to need them because to your point, anytime you can train, train technologists on the business problem and business people on the technology, that's where the magic happens. And so it's really hard to find people that have this skill set of machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics that, you know, they know now what a nav is, they know what the instruments are inside of that. So we want to preserve that really hard to manufacture and, and find people like that. So that's our intention. I think these people are driven by the work. Um, and, you know, if the work is interesting and the technology is interesting and the problems are, they've got a meaningful impact. I think that's why a lot of technologists do what they do. So um, there's other factors, of course, but um, so there's a lot to do here. We're now the largest provider of these services in the world. And, you know, I would say that to our future colleagues at Brown Brothers that are doing this, now you get to do this on 40% of the mutual fund market here in the U.S., which is, you know, we're one of the largest, if not the largest. So it's a, it's a great challenge and a great business problem to solve. Okay. Let's let's now take I, I would love to take more of a wide angle view just to better understand your thinking of because you said something that, that I actually found interesting. You know, it's a what about Charles River, it's a fintech company now owned by a bank. But I I'm I think that even you would agree that even banks now are kind of positioning themselves more as technology companies if, if at least technology savvy, correct? You would agree with that, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So if I say this is something I like to ask a lot of people, but if I say that you know, while switching out an OMS, an EMS, portfolio management system, any kind of these kind of trading systems, you know, it's a nightmare and people don't want to go through it. They don't want to do it. I think it's also, I would, if, and then if I say that, you know, things like uh, cloud, um, uh, open source, app, app interoperability tools, and kind of this democratization of artificial intelligence and machine learning um, that, you know, kind of we're seeing throughout the industry, it's making customers a little bit more finicky. And as a result, the days of kind of these monolithic hard install platforms are kind of going the way of the dinosaur. And as a result, you know, the need for interoperability is becoming an imperative for uh, uh, technology providers. Would you agree with that statement or would you take that in a different direction? Now that's ex I agree with you. And that's exactly how we think about our alpha platform, which is uh, an open an open platform, which I can dive into deeper. But I do think um, I think you're right. I think the days of having stovepipe technology is, is too messy, too complex. I think what customers want is choices. But what they really want, Anthony, is they want to be able to plug in technology that speaks the same technology language. So whether it's APIs, but more importantly, there, there are no standards of data in our industry. So when you plug in for instance, uh, MSCI is a partner for us on on, on, on an Alpha platform. Quantigo is a partner of ours on the Quanti on the Alpha platform. We've got liquidity providers. What we're asking them to do is talk to technology language and let's get the data right, so customers could subscribe to the services. If they want to use a customer service, they can buy it. And just like on Amazon, you can buy something; it shows up to your house. And the key here is to provide an open architecture with choices that is integrated from a data and technology perspective. That's hard work because it's a true platform where, for instance, the customers on our platform, they're platform economics. And, and so they're making money on the platform. Um, we're actually grabbing tolls on the platform to, to sort of do platform, I call it policing, I don't mean it that way, but to make sure that you know customers and, and providers are behaving the right way and there's no issues and the service level is very high. And we have this background because we run platforms like CurrentX and others where we understand how these platforms work. So I think open is hugely important. 
we're the first ones to come out with the alpha platform and says it needs to be open, but it's harder because you have to integrate with the world. But what we're finding is, um, and I, you know, I used to have a software company called Eagle. So I grew up this way and understand that Eagle investment systems. And we sold that to Mellon, um, that customers want choices back in the day. It was best to breed when the market was different. You bought your OMS, you bought your IBOR, you bought your risk system, you bought your data system. Business models have changed right now and customers can't afford that and don't want to have that messiness. But to your point, they still want the choices. They still want to know what is the best provider of analytics in this asset class? Who is the best provider of these liquidity services in this particular market? And can you build an interoperable platform that has the customers uh, experience that? And then make it an environment where producers of these services can make money if they're excellent at what they do. So that's our focus is uh, to do that. But it's, you know, it's a journey. We have great partners. I think there's over a hundred partners today on the alpha platform and we continue to build that out. So. Yeah. Yeah, we've been writing a lot about um, the integration that's been going on between uh, Charles River and the Alpha platform, uh, getting those uh, two systems on the same page. So Statry, you know, has gone about it. Obviously, big acquisition here with Investor Services, big acquisition of Charles River. Uh, there was uh, the Mercatus acquisition, uh, private markets, uh, and that becomes more and more important uh, to investors, uh, data provider there. Um, you have partnerships, I know, with uh, Simcorp. Uh, for outsourcing solution for insurance in EMEA. Um, there's something similar with uh, Coromont for hedge fund managers. So you've done this blend of acquisition and partnerships um, and not all those things connect and you know sometimes they're for different things. But so then when it comes to interoperability though, it sounds like in my view, um, the broader strategy here is to kind of create that proverbial front to back um, offering that's almost just too sticky that people just, you know, can't, yeah, I'll say can't, but you say wouldn't ever want to leave, right? Is, is that kind of the what you're driving toward here? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, what's driven that is that this, things have changed for our customers. By the way, this is where intermediary I mentioned earlier plays a big part, right? So they've already have the connectors, the technology connectors, the data connectors. And if you just envision as we're building alpha, this is going to become a chassis to the platform. It already speaks to everybody. So that's another reason why it's very accretive. Um, look, I think anytime you provide a service where customers don't have a choice or don't even have a choice to leave, that's not a good position to be in. So um, what we've done recently is we have this front to back platform, but we built something called the Alpha Data Platform. We teamed up with Snowflake and Microsoft back in 2018. And we had this idea that data should be co-sourced with our clients. You, we shouldn't be the keepers of that data because in the end, you know, you could switch out a service provider, especially as a moves from on-premise to on-cloud, if you will. You could say, well, I'll I'll use Charles River today. And it is hard to switch, but you could switch, especially if it's on a platform, but it's your data that's most important. And so we did, we adopted this open, I uh, call it co-sourcing environment. We'll curate the data. We'll get the data there for you. We'll put it into an environment, which your cloud environment. You can build software from there. You can build capabilities. And if we're not very good at what we do, you can unplug us or unplug components of us and provide another custodian, another trading system, another uh, record keeping system. So that's the vision there because I, I don't think it's a it's a good model if customers don't have choices. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you go to Alpha and say, well, this is a 10 or 15 year commitment, you'd feel uncomfortable doing that with anybody. I would too. So I think we're we're trying to make sure that it is open. It's an excellent, delightful experience for clients. But in the end, if we're not excellent and they want choices, they can get that. And we're trading off of our service. And we believe that uh, if we're excellent at what we do, customers won't leave. So, 
Okay. So if we look, like, so let's look at just the alpha ecosystem that you have there then. So if I say to you, kind of another thought exercise here, but so if I say to you that when it comes to interoperability, in my view, there are kind of three ways of going about this. You have uh, first what you're seeing with the likes of um, uh, uh, OpenFin, Glue42, for, uh, Cosaic, kind of creating these container uh, kind of browsers. Um, where every app can kind of talk seamlessly to each other using the FDC3 uh, standard. The second, in my view, is like something like um, a Bloomberg terminal, your uh, BlackRock Aladdin, your uh, Goldman with Marquee, where you know you build it and then using APIs, you know, you allow access in through that to other uh, third-party providers, uh, technology providers, data providers. And then the third is the path of uh, acquisition, you know, you know I'd, I would look at like what SSNC does, you know, ION, you know, buy the best of breed out there and then figure out how to stitch this all together. If I say that those are kind of the three avenues, first of all, you don't have to agree with that. You can say that there's a fourth or whatever, but where would you place uh, State Street Alpha and how you're trying to position this, this product? So I think, um... It's going to be all of the above, and I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm not copping out. Uh, You're copping you know, out, but go for it. <laughs> so we plugged BlackRock Aladdin into Alpha, right? We have customers decided they want to use Aladdin versus CRD, and it's really, it gets down to how do they plug in? How do they, can they go API to API? You know, so we have to work with those products, and again, we would love to keep it at an API level, get the technology standards and the data standards correct. You know, with a Bloomberg, it's a little bit of a different experience. There are customers that use Bloomberg. Not every customer in Alpha uses Charles River, right? That's so it's that's the choice set that we have. Uh, not every customer in Alpha uses us as a custodian, right? So how we communicate with custodians and some are, you know, are more contemporary than others. Some will use Swift, some will use, you know, data transports of what have you. So, um, you know, CRD itself, Charles River itself, if you really understand its its um, background, is so they they have lots of APIs. They were communicating. I have customers that can build applications around CRD, and that's a blessing and a curse, right? Because a little harder to do upgrades when people build capabilities around your software. So we're trying to find that right balance. We're trying to make sure that we can interoperate at every level. Um, this is what I said, when it's open, it's really hard. This is the part, like if it was a closed architecture, you'd say it's one way and let's do it. But here we need to figure out what kind of vintage technology we're using. How do they want to communicate to us? Um, you know, Mercatus is a brand new product we purchased, which we're excited about. We'll be integrating that into um, into the Alpha platform, and that was built on a completely different set of technology. We purchased BestX back in 2018. By the way, the same week we purchased Charles River, which was all Google-based, cloud-based, uh, uh, FX, TCA, you know, transaction cost analysis. So, um, you know, and that that's now integrated into the platform. So, um, so we have to operate at all those levels. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because we are dealing with different, I'll use the term vintages of providers and technology. So that's why it makes it hard. Uh, yeah. Or harder. So, well, this is what I find fascinating. So at the beginning of the conversation, you know, kind of talked about, you know, your role, chief operating officer, simple title, incredibly complex remit, and uh, that, that, that spreads uh, into a lot of different areas. So in this new world of, technology as the, the disruption around cloud um, and the need to be able to bring in and use tools such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, create new pressures, you know, so it was easier when it was a closed off system. You know, you, you would sign somebody into that seven year, 10 year deal, they were locked in and, you know, as long as they were getting what they needed, 
you know, then you could just kind of manage it there. And then if they weren't, it would be more difficult for them to get out. As, As somebody that has to oversee such a wide organization, what are the greatest challenges for you and with this new paradigm? What what are those kind of things that kind of keep you awake at night as you try and make sure that that your group is positioned for a landscape that is rapidly changing? Yeah, is a that's a great question. Um, and the way I think about it is, there's some of this here and now stuff we just talked about. Like it's a no brainer. I tell folks that natural language processing, machine learning, it's been around for a while. Let's get at it. Let's start using it. Um, and so, you know, I think applying those every single day and to make sure we're doing it the right way. So those are all those good challenges. The things that keep me up at night is when I look around the corner and you look at what tokenization and blockchain, um, I'm separating crypto now from just look at the underlying technology. And um, it's fascinating. Uh, it's an opportunity. It's a disruption all in one. It could fundamentally change the way we operate. This, you know, you just talked about this business model, whether it's liquidity or settling trades or doing nav processing, um, it can absolutely change the way we do our work and the way the industry works. And I think um, we're keeping our eye on that. We set up a new division this year called State Street Digital, and we took Nadine Shakar, who's been an industry veteran, and she was running our markets business, and we asked her to spend all of her waking time with a team of technologists to really think about how we can disrupt ourselves, is the word I would use, right? And uh, and they're they're interesting companies right now that have uh, trust bank charters uh, that are, you know, governed by the regulators in New York, but they're, we're a trust bank, they're a trust bank, we look and operate very differently because they're applying these technologies. So I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night because um, the good news is I'm, we're doing something about it, we're, we're in it, we're examining, we're experimenting, uh, we're figuring out where to apply it, where not to apply it. So those are the things, in addition to everything you just said that we have to do, you have to Take your current operating model and change the way you work by applying advanced technologies. That's just a check. Let's get at it. Let's be more productive. Those are table stakes. If you don't do that, uh, it's not going to end well because our customers are looking for higher quality. There's pricing pressure in our industry. It's not going away. So uh, there's not a lot more labor arm you can do. Can't move work around the planet because, by the way, there's the war for talent and it's in India, it's in Poland, it's in China. Um, So you really have to, you know, become more productive. But if you just do that and keep your head down and don't pay attention to the change cycles that are happening right now, Anthony, or they're happening in months. They used to be like, you know, when I started in the industry, you know, and I'm dating myself, but in the 80s, there were seven or 10 year change cycles. And then they went to three to five year change cycles, meaning new technology would come in. It would take about three to five years for it to impact what you do. I mean, the change cycles now are in months and um, and companies are popping up new fintechs that are using these technologies and they're not necessarily trying to disrupt the bank. I don't think they want to be regulated like we are, but they're trying to figure out how can they change the way settlements work? And, you know, what if there are central bank digital currencies and you don't need fiat and you don't need deposits in a bank to do your operational deposits? You know, how could how could that work? And so we're we're examining that intention, you know, very intently and um, with a lot of effort. That's the stuff that, you know, the other stuff is like, Let's just get at it, get the right people in the room and do it. And this is the stuff where it's it's changing. And you could come in someday and and be surprised with what somebody can do in your industry. And we, we just don't want to be there. So we've made investments in companies like Securency and Luca, Finality in Europe. Uh, and then we have teams that are working with fintechs to help us experiment and explore this. So hopefully that that just makes my job even harder. Uh, you know, it's hard enough to buy some companies, get Alpha up and running, you know, automate the way we strike NAVs and we do 
current processing, but you have to look forward also. Um, and I'm really, you know, if you don't, I think you can come in one day and have automated the heck out of everything you've done and then find out that you're not relevant anymore. Yeah. So, Ben, you know, you bring up, so let's just, I'll leave it at this uh, one last question um, is, you know, looking at this kind of new paradigm that, that COVID has brought about of, you know, remote work, um, you know, kind of expanding kind of that kind of workforce footprint of where people, you know, do work, how, how they're coming into the office. For you, as somebody running such a, a large organization, what is your greatest concern going forward as we figure out the, the right structure, the right balance of remote work versus uh, being in the office of having satellite uh, offices down in Austin or Poland or wherever it is, um, but making sure that everybody's still connected, everybody's still on the same page, worrying about, you know, salary discrepancies and kind of scrunchment around that or worrying about disjointedness of teams because everything's being done, you know, via Zoom or Teams or whatever have you for you. What's your greatest concern that you're going to try and make sure to be keeping a close eye on over these next six months, 12 months into the future? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. And um, so there's a couple of things. I, I always answer this question this way. Say, first of all, we all made, you know, work from uh, homework during the pandemic. And everyone should be proud of that around the planet. And, um, and I would tell you that we traded off of a few things. We traded off our existing relationships. So the reason it worked is because you know you knew your colleague and now you just happen to be talking over Zoom, but you know who they are. Culturally, you know who they are. Uh, so that's why it worked. But there are a couple of things that don't work. And so this is where it gets into what is the purpose of the office? I believe hybrid is here to stay. Hybrid could mean one day a week, one day a month. And we're leaving that up to our teams to figure out what that looks like. If you're in technology, it's probably you know offsites and planning sessions and innovation sessions. And if you're a trader, you know, you're probably in the office every day making markets. So our personas are, are different. Uh, but the things I don't think are working are, I think innovation is harder to do this when you're, when you're doing it over technology. There are tools you can do this. But, you know, I was talking to Spiros uh, Giorannos, our CEO at Charles River. He said, you know, the days where I can walk down the hall, grab four engineers, get in a room and whiteboard, that unplanned interaction now requires planning and getting people on the screen. So innovation is harder. Uh, I'd, say, I'd say problem solving is a little different than innovation, just, you know, you got an immediate issue and how do you solve it? Although we made it work during the pandemic, but that's another one. I think, um, you know, a lot of our business, you talked about what what Brown Brothers does. That's, you can't read that in a book. You can't take those uh, skill sets uh, in class. You have to learn this. You have to, it's an experiential type of apprenticeship-based training. So how do you get that if you can't walk down the hall to the subject matter expert and ask he or she, hey, what's the best way to do this? So that's missing. And then I'd put the last one in cultural and interpersonal connections that, you know, we are humans. Um, and I, I comment on how we started this is that we it worked because we traded on our relationships. But we've hired thousands of people this year that we've never met uh, and they don't have those interpersonal connections. And so what does the culture look like? And so we're turning all this around to say there's a purpose for the office. Uh, it depends on your team. It depends on your persona. And let's think about when we bring people together, why we bring them together. Um, and uh, and you know we're fine with people working from home, so we're it's it's in that stage right now, and um, and I think that's something we we're watching. I tell everyone these are leading practices; they're not best practices because we're we're writing the book on this right now, and uh, so that's how we think about it. And we're willing to continue to learn from people. We don't have a monopoly on this information, so 
if you write anything that could help me, I'm glad to read it and uh, share with my colleagues. So it sounds good. Take out a subscription, baby. We're all about it. So, <laughs> all right, Lou. Well, listen, that was really good stuff. Uh, we'll be by the time we publish this, we'll already know the results of the uh, New England Tampa Bay game. But uh, you know, hopefully, you uh, have enjoyed it and uh, you aren't uh, sulking by the time that you're listening to this next week. I hope not. I hope I'm in a good. <laughs> see. So, thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you for the time today.